Shelley, how are you? Where are you? Well, Baden, I am great because we are relaxing alongside the beach here in Puerto Escondido, which translates as the hidden port, which sounds pretty exciting. Um, I, it felt quite hidden because we came here from over a whole load of mountains in a van and we didn't see it till the very last minute. I'm very pleased that we finally arrived because I was quite nauseated by the and time Shelley, we got here. Where, where is Puerto Escondido? Oh, it's in Mexico. Yeah. It's in the um, Oaxaca state, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Is that where we are? Yeah, Good. Oaxaca. Okay, cool. Yeah. Welcome to the How Are You, Where Are You podcast. This is an audio travelogue of our adventures by bike as we travel from London, where we live for seven years, um, to our birth home of the Hutt Valley in New Zealand. We will ride and probably catch a few buses through parts of Central and South America. And when we are on our bikes, no doubt we will be chased by dogs the entire way. In breaking news, we're on a holiday from our holiday at the moment. Yeah, the bikes are in our little favourite place where we recorded episode 17 in Chats, as we like to call it. Uh, I think the locals prefer to call it Chitamau. <laughs> it's in the south of the uh, Yucatan Peninsula. And we decided, uh, you know, thanks for all the kind remarks from everyone who uh, really sympathised with my illness. It was really touching... <laughs> All of those uh, sympathy cards we received through post just directed to Baden Campbell Chetamau. I thought that was very touching. Actually, no one sent any of those cards, so that was that was kind of disappointing and deflating. So then, what we decided to do, <laughs> what we decided to do, is um, take a bit of time out and take a holiday from our holiday and go to Mexico City. And uh, in Mexico City, we planned a bit of a two-week itinerary. And we went to Mexico City for about five days. We had about four days in Oaxaca, the city of Oaxaca. And then we did this sort of really uh, nauseating seven-hour van ride over through hills, down dales, through valleys, mostly up hills. And then some pretty dodgy driving, sort of the van hanging it out on the corners as he was like cruising down well, wasn't really cruising. He was just a very aggressive driver. It was sort of the Mexican version of Fernando Alonso. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and we arrived here on Puerto Escondido. And in other important breaking news, we are joined this episode by special guest Nathan Tari, hut kid from way back and all-around man of the people. Nathan is a traveller, creator, and a very old friend of ours. Nathan, why have you brought us here to Puerto Escondido? Hola. Um, why? I'm not too sure, really. <laughs> I know why I came here, and that was because I had seven days left on my trip, which is, yeah, almost going to be three months. And um, I just wanted to be by the beach. I love it here. It's almost my fourth time here, I think. Wow. Yeah, it seems like everybody here knows you, um, and everyone is your amigo. So, yeah, we're, I think we're in the right place. Nate's looking after us here. So we're going to talk to Nate a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but for now, we're going to fill you in on our time in Mexico City first up. The first week we spent on our holiday from our holiday. Actually, I've actually uh, came up with a phrase that I've been saying to people when I've been trying to explain it in Spanish. So I say it, uh, Nuestra vacaciones de nuestra vacaciones. And people are like, mmm, mm, oh, wow. So obviously that's hit a, I don't know, Jose, my Spanish teacher back in London, I don't know, maybe you could tweet me if that's a sort of proper sentence <laughs> with, uh, with all the... Uh, uh, with all the words in the right place and stuff, but no, we uh, we've been in Mes Mexico City, or uh, I've come, become sort of extremely cool since I've been in Mexico City, and so I started calling it De Efe, mm -hmm. 
uh, because uh, Mexico City is what the locals sort of call it, Mexico City Distrito Federal. And everyone just seems to call it De Efe. And if you're anywhere around the country, oh, yeah, I've been in De Efe. Oh, yeah, sweet. So um, that's what the cool kids call it. But what a city. You know, you read about it and you hear about all the homicides. I think there's multiple homicides every single day there. And uh, you think, oh, man, we're going to have to be, you know, have our wits about us here. There are something like 22 million people uh, that live in sort of the the... Mexico City and it's I think it's one of the biggest cities in the world I know in terms of space it is the biggest city in the world like it covers the biggest area and you know what the second biggest city in the world by mass by land masses I do because you've already told me but what is it it's Auckland New Zealand yeah so like if you stretch down from the top of Auckland down to the Bombay Hills that's only second in distance, uh, second in sort of meters squared or whatever to Mexico City. Wow. Okay. Now, I was really nervous to go to Mexico City. Yeah? Yeah, because you hear a lot about um, how huge it is. And I've seen things on TV about the giant markets and the crazy sewage system. And just, you know, it's one of those mega, mega sort of cities, isn't it? And so I, I don't know. I felt kind of nervous. I thought maybe it would be dangerous. I thought it would be really crowded and intense and just disorganized and really dirty and it wasn't really like that at all what do you so what did what was it like then well it was um it was organized the metro system was amazing um it was the metro system is one of the cheapest in the world i think we read somewhere and people were really friendly and i mean it's very as you said it's a very big space for people so it's quite spread out we we were mostly in the historical center part um and yeah it it just was clean the streets were nice i didn't feel in danger at any point um you know i had my hands and you know on my stuff when we were on the metro or in any kind of crowds but that was it really And, and i wouldn't behave any differently in london really so we got there and we wandered around the center looking at beautiful um, historic buildings, went to the Palacio Nacional and um, looked at Diego Rivera's amazing murals and things. But what we enjoyed a lot was um, the street vibe in Mexico City. It's uh, something to something to behold. They have these traditional organ grinders all around the city um, and they are actually government employees as of something like the 1950s. It became a kind of official occupation and they have a uniform with a little peaked cap and um, they go around the city, they have these very old fashioned organs that they maintain and play. They just turn a handle at the side and it plays a song and they collect money from the citizens and from the tourists. So, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of busking and music going on, but these guys are kind of an institution of, of um, DF. Yeah, as you can hear, it sounds pretty rank. I mean, some of these guys don't really... Cho- I don't know how... I, I never looked inside one of those organ boxes, but I think they have to do something to tune them up. But some people, you know, they're just worried about getting the money, so they just sit on the streets and then churn in. It's like... And, you know, they don't often have a nice melody or whatever, but uh, they are an institution, and the union protects them. So... It's probably going to be there for many years to come, and people take it quite seriously. Another thing that we really enjoyed in Mexico City is the enormous markets. So um, this is the sound of Sonora Market, which is um, quite a famous one because it has a lot of live animals, as you can hear, as well as medicinal herbs and kind of a bit of a witchcraft santeria sort of dark side to it um where you can get lots of love potions 
um, and lots of herbs and things for good luck. And yeah, yeah. What did you buy there? All sorts of things. You can get little uh, pendants, uh, die cast sculptures of all sorts. A lot of Santa Muerte, the the Saint Death uh, Archangel, I guess, the eighth Archangel. It's a, it's a, a kind of cool place, but Baden wasn't really massively enjoying this partic- the bird part of it, were you? Yeah, I mean, one of my phobias, probably the only phobia I have really, is um, birds inside. And even if they're in cages, <laughs> I mean, they're okay in cages, but the whole prospect of uh, a bird inside really freaks me out. And it comes from like my school days, like when a bird would fly into the classroom and then the bird would like slam itself into the window trying to get out because they you know, don't realize the glass is there. The other thing, obviously, when we're wandering around the streets is that you run into a few crazy characters. For me, I only believe in myself because what you don't do by yourself, nobody's going to do it. Yeah. If you have somebody in the hospital and you ask God for money, he doesn't give you anything. You need to work to get it. Um, I mean, in a city with 22 million people, there's going to be more than a few, I would say. And and that is actually Rocky, who we met in the Zocalo, which is the giant square in the middle of the historic centre. Um, and there's a big cathedral on it, and the, the old palace is there. And also an enormous flagpole with a Mexican flag, which I think you said, Bay, is one of the biggest, is it? No, my brother, Callum, uh, reported to me via WhatsApp. Uh, you guys probably didn't get the WhatsApp message. Um, but he reported to me that that is the biggest flag in the world. Well, we went there to go. They apparently, they take it down at 6 o'clock every night. So we went to go and sort of see if there's some sort of special. I actually wanted to see how they folded it. How do you fold a massive flag? Uh, but then um, I was, we, we thought it would be a ritual thing, you know, like the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace or whatever. But no, uh, the military, we waited around for about half an hour, talking to Rocky actually, and they said, nah, it's, um, we're not, um, well, they had the military guys haven't turned up yet to do it. We don't know when they're going to turn up. So there, yeah, that was that was pretty loose. But the other cool thing, I mean, I'll talk more about Rocky in a sec. But the other cool thing with um, the Zocalo is that is the start of the Aztec Empire, isn't it? Yeah, that place was the centre of the Aztec Empire. And why is that? Because they saw an eagle on a cactus, and and saw an eagle eating a snake on a prickly pear cactus. And that's a sign from God. Yeah, and so that's the emblem in the middle of the Mexican flag. And, uh, yeah, and so that's where they built Mexico City. Mexico City was one giant swamp or river or a lake, a lake, and they just built all on top of it. So there's lots of buildings that are sinking in Mexico City. Anyway, Rocky, what a guy. Do you believe in the aliens? Aliens. Um... Uh, do you believe that we are the only one that exists in the universe? No. <laughs> For me? Rocky was a shine dude, and he just rolled up to us in the middle of the square, and he kind of just sounded like he just wanted to practice his English with us. But then we got talking, and he revealed to us that, um, well, I said, where do you learn English, Rocky? And he said, in prison. It's like, oh, right. And he goes, yeah, yeah, when foreigners are in prison, you know, like foreigners come here and they commit a crime, then they end up in prison here. And uh, a lot of the prisoners try and learn English from them as something to help them with their rehabilitation. And without any sort of prompting from me, he said, yeah, I was in, I've just come out of a 12-year sentence in jail. I was like, oh, right, Rocky, that's pretty full on. He goes, yeah, I killed a cop. 
Yeah. He didn't really say how long he'd been out of prison, actually. Yeah. But he was really loving freedom. And he just wanted to make the best of it. He was, you know, shining people's shoes, just doing, you know, when he killed the cop, he was at a time when he was taking a lot of drugs and, he, you know, he was just involved in sort of that seedy underbelly in Mexico City. And But now he's like, you know, if you, his attitude is, you know, if you can work and grind out a living, you know, good things can happen to you. I mean, it was, yeah, when he first came over to us, you're always a bit kind of, you know, suspicious. But straight away, we kind of realized he was a fairly straight up guy and he wasn't trying to hit us up for any money or anything. Whereas, Nathan, you were telling us about an experience that you had in Mexico City where you were definitely being hit up for money. Yes, well, uh, we had had a few mezcals with you guys and we were getting the last metro back to Condesa. And basically, yeah, we got on, on in um, El Zocalo and the next station along, maybe an 18-year-old dude got on and opened out a t-shirt which was full of broken glass. And at this point, everyone was kind of looking at the glass going, what the hell is this guy going to do? And we didn't really understand what he was saying at the time, but then he started to roll his arms around and thrash his arms into the, the broken glass. And then he proceeded to pick out the pieces of glass that he that he had got stuck in his arm. It was they were also covered in blood, and walk around the train asking for money. He didn't do this to the theme of that Annie Lennox song, did he? Like, <laughs> it's not funny. No, absolutely not. It was quite sad. Um, and but what he once he had collected his money from our section, he just carried on down the train and did it another two or three times. God, that's so extreme. That's probably the most extreme thing we saw. I, if I if I had seen that, I would have been really really upset. If I'm honest. Yeah. Like because I don't know. So someone so unpredictable. Yeah. You, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit scary. That's, uh, yeah. This is what happens in big cities. You know, we've all lived in London. You know, you can dodgy things happen on the tube. I haven't yet seen anyone on the tube oh smash God. themselves into broken glass, yeah, but. Um, these sort of things happen in big cities but overall i mean the buzz in mexico city is just so safe isn't it you know like in the central city where we were sort of staying um it kind of closed down at night you know like there were roller doors down on all the windows and it was all there weren't that many places to eat even in the very central of the city but didn't feel unsafe at all walking around yeah still probably not a great idea to you know be late at night trying to get back to your thing after all the Beers oh, yeah. went ahead and I stuff. Think there's definitely some places to avoid, but you know, just like you say, living in a big city, you, you have to keep your wits about you, yeah. you know. And yeah. I didn't really need to do that as much in Mexico City as, as I have done in parts of Europe. Mm. Yeah, yeah true. true. We went out to another neighborhood. Um, uh, it's called, I can't remember what it's called actually. It's where La Arena de la Ciudad de Mexico, yeah, uh, Mexico something is. Unpronounceable. Something unpronounceable. And we went there to see La Lucha Libre. <laughs> Okay, so it's kind of a touristy thing to do, but it was pretty interesting and quite cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, back in the 80s, uh, when I was at uh, Pocatero School, uh, I was pretty much into WWF in a big way. And one time my nana came round, and I think this was the time of SummerSlam 89. And uh, my nana was staying at our house, and the SummerSlam was on in the middle of the night. So I had it on record, because I wasn't allowed to stay up late to watch SummerSlam. 
and Nana got up to go to the toilet and then she came into the lounge and she saw the video was on, the video machine, the VCR. And uh, at that moment, she actually stopped the recording of SummerSlam. <laughs> she thought something was wrong with it, so she stopped it. And uh, yeah, so I never, if anyone's got a DVD or a, um, even a VCR of SummerSlam 89, if they could pass it on, oh <laughs> I'd be most grateful. But so, you know, I've got a bit of a wrestling background. I, I, after SummerSlam 89, to be fair, I kind of lost the will. You know, like after I missed SummerSlam 89, I just thought, you know, what's the point, you know? And so wrestling, I, I haven't followed this whole transition uh, from WWE, WWF to WWE to whatever. So are we talking a 26 year later revival of your interest in wrestling? Yeah, so this is like, and this is the first wrestling I've seen live. And isn't there a movie about Lucha Libre? You mean that Nacho Libre one? Oh, Nacho. <laughs> I don't think that's a particularly that authentic it? film. <laughs> but, um, oh. There were some great uh, wrestlers in the 80s that wore masks and things like the Conquistadors. But basically, if you knew 1980s wrestling, uh, the Conquistadors is pretty much like all of the characters in the Lucha Libre. They were, um, they're all wearing these sort of latex masks. You've got heaps of the main name. Got a few, yep, from Mexico City. Yeah. Nathan's wearing one right now. <laughs> so if Nathan sounds a bit muffled, that's because he's got like a latex mask. <laughs> it's not at all weird though, Nathan. It's not at all weird. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a, a pretty intense fight card. Um, who, who were some of the greats that we had on, on the Friday night? Well, uh, luckily enough, I have taken the time and trouble to write a blog about it that is on our blog at the moment, howareyouareyou.com. But um, we had Mystico, Valiente, um, uh, La Sombra. Uh, who else was there? El, uh, someone with a mask on? No, the mask guy? Oh, Maximo. Maximo. What was his deal, man? Yeah, oh, Maximo was getting so beaten up at one point, And then the crowd, because there were good guys and bad guys, and then the crowd was just willing him back. He looked like he had, like they ripped off his mask, and he went like running back under the change rooms to get a new mask, then came back on, and then just dealt to all the other guys on the, the Atlantico and all that. Oh, it was a pretty epic fight. But the best thing on the fight card was the, um, the small guys. We can't, they, weren't, they weren't dwarfs, because they're all in proportion. But uh, they had, uh, you know, it was a tag team plus one, basically, three versus three. Three small guys, three good small guys, like the goodies and the baddies, three small guys. And that was the most entertaining. Those little guys bouncing against the ropes and lifting each other up and slamming each other down. That was quality wrestling. I could have, I pretty much could have left at that point, to be honest. But we stayed for longer. It was, it was yeah, it was interesting. Another thing that we did that was, in my mind, slightly more highbrow was uh, go to the Frida Kahlo Museum. Um, and everybody in Mexico <laughs> City... more highbrow. Yeah, a lot more. Uh, everybody in Mexico that comes to, to visit Mexico City, usually they go there, there's big queues outside, and there's a good reason, because it's an amazing experience. Today we've come to the house of Frida Kahlo. Um, in Coyacan in Mexico City. This used to be a little village on the outskirts of Mexico City, but since uh, those days, uh, the city has sprawled out and overtaken it. We're in the garden of the house and it's um, full of lots of big mature trees um, and it's quite shady. A lot of green foliage everywhere, big green leaves. 
uh, dappled sunlight coming through, lots of ferns and uh, lots of native Mexican plants. And we're surrounded by the iconic um, blue walls of the garden. So the, the house is known as the Blue House because it's got this bright, shocking cobalt blue uh, everywhere, really. Um, yeah, we've had a really nice time here and we're feeling kind of inspired, I guess, uh, by everything we've seen and just really keen to find out more about Frida and Diego's life. Yeah, I've been. I feel quite affected by this place. I've sort of come here, knowing, seeing a little bit of the art, and thinking, "Oh, this is pretty cool." And so, you know, let's come here, check it out. But having been here, you can see where how the creative juices uh, happen, mm. and it's really amazing to be in these houses of some of people who are so creative. Mm. Like uh, when we went to Hemingway's house in Cuba. In Havana, uh, we kind of felt the same thing, sort of poking around. You feel just from seeing their house and how they lived, uh, you know, what sort of things inspired them and sort of, yeah, how they went about their work. I imagine if we went to, um, you know, if John Key, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, died and we went to his house, uh, we wouldn't feel like this. Yeah, they, they surrounded themselves with lots of Mexican folk art. Um, I think I get the impression the house would have been quite crammed with stuff when they were living here. Apparently the place was never without guests. They always hosted guests here all the time. And w whenever Frida had guests, she was always kind of on and she was always happy and a great hostess and hid all of the pain and suffering that she was feeling. Um, but the other thing you get the feeling when you're coming through the house is that, man, people must have thought they were crazy when they were living here. Like the, the outfits that she wore and, and the way they lived their lives, they were really ahead of their time. Mm. I, it, it just left me wanting to find out so much more. We've just spent about 60 pounds worth of books from the bookshop because <laughs> there are so many beautiful books that, you know, with their work and, and their story is so amazing as well. Frida Kahlo was a real icon probably not at the time but definitely now for disabled people mm. you know and and her art is reflected in sort of the pain that she suffered on a day-to-day -day basis mm. and how she sort of covered it up covered up her pain and suffering as well mm. in her art and oh man it's just incredible i think as well what was interesting was that in 2004 they um opened up some rooms that had been left closed so diego rivera um he asked the woman that was looking after it when he died to not go into these rooms for 15 years um, so in 2004 they opened them and they found all of these clothes, like all of Frida's clothes, loads of documents, loads of photographs and um, they've actually now got an exhibition, sort of a temporary exhibition of her dresses and corsets um, and they talk about how she used clothing to um, express herself but also to hide her disability. So yeah, it was good to kind of get extra insight into kind of woman she was and her clothes were like her second skin they were so important to her and she she wore quite traditional dress and and that was part of her politics but it was also part of her heritage so yeah fascinating we flew from mexico city to oaxaca and we're really looking forward to the food uh, i think this is kind of not just because of things we'd read about the city but also because in london there's a food a chain of restaurants called oaxaca and they're, they're quite good i mean it is a chain but um the food is delicious however it bears no resemblance whatsoever to the food that you find in oaxaca well not for us who are on a bit of a budget uh i think you can there's some pretty awesome restaurants in oaxaca 
where like three stars on Lonely Planet, amazing. Um, but where you can like get some really interesting inventive food. But the sort of places where we tend to eat, like off a little trailer on the side of the road, uh, <laughs> they weren't that great. The, the the thing with Oaxaca that's meant to be famous for us is seven moles. There's sort of black, red, another tinge of black, yellow, yellow another green. tinge of red, another green one. Is that seven? <laughs> Something like that. But uh, and basically what it is, you, you cook a bit of meat. And it, oh, that's the other thing that really annoys me about uh, meat here in Mexico. Chicken is pretty good, but when they cut you some beef, it's so thin. It's kind of like minute, minute steak. Yeah, and yeah. Overcooked as well. Needless to say, the food in Oaxaca, normally, like, I expect when I come to Mexico that I don't have to pay a lot to get good food. That's the whole point about Mexican food is yeah. that it's cheap and it's delicious, right? So when you go to Oaxaca... Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. have to go to some tourist expensive restaurant that normal Mexicans don't go to to get good food. They originated the idea and certain things about the cuisine is that they sort of conceptualized and made it here. And then in the West, I guess we take it and yeah. blow it up. We fancy it up a little bit. Yeah. 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 They've got all the good produce. Like, you go to the markets and see all the different types of peppers and chilies. It's amazing the vegetables and the produce they have here. So, I don't know. I think it's just. Yeah, you have to. You probably have to pay for the decent stuff, or go to someone's house and have them cook it for you. Yeah. It's probably the best way. Like the pozoles are really good still, um, but they're like a soupy sort of thing with like beef and or chicken and like big corn kernels. Really nice. I think they're called hominy kernels or something like that. The, those are quite good, but uh, the moles, which are just like a uh, a thick sauce that is designed to go over meat thought they weren't as great i thought with the mollies especially if you added salt uh, it was a whole other uh, okay. thing i think they didn't they don't quite enhance it that much you know oh, but okay. what what they use the, i mean the, the ingredients are definitely in there but yeah. if you if you amplify it a bit more with salt you a lot, a lot more of those flavors come out oh, in your palate okay. I found it's yeah. interesting because when you go to like the little street vendors and things, they have all the different bowls of sauces and sometimes yeah. chili powder and, and the limes. So maybe they just it's we I've missed a trick a bit. You, you yeah, the seasoning is up yeah. to you. I yeah, seasoning, seasoning in particular though with mollies, it it brings out those unique flavors out of each kind of sauce. Yeah. We need to get a molly. I think we, yeah, we get, we're being a bit hard on the uh, cuisine here. Um, another thing that we did, uh, well, Oaxaca is quite famous for its mezcal, and that is because it has such a wide range of agave plants. So this is the plant that you derive mezcal from. Um, and we actually got to see some of these at the Ethno Botanic Garden, which is behind the Dominican Monastery. So we went to the wrestling for you, Baden, and then you owed me one, didn't you? Yeah, well, you know, I, you, you painted that I just... We'll pack a sad and get into grum every time we have to go and see a garden because you like gardens. It's not the case at all, Shelley. I very much enjoyed this garden. And Carol um, did a lovely tour. And I learned a whole lot. I, I was amazed. And, you know, people say, oh, so what do you see in Oaxaca? I say, oh, go to the Botanic Gardens, dudes. It's, like, amazing. And they, they look at you like, really? But it's well worth it. This was the second most valuable export product from what was known as New Spain, Mexico and Guatemala. So first in value was silver and then cochineal. From the Americas, first in value gold and silver and then cochineal. Um, 
The sound of Carol. Talking us through a few things there. It was good. It was two hours, which sounds long, but it flew actually. Um, so she's talking. She was talking there about cochineal, which is a little bug that you get a red dye from. That was that was quite interesting, and we and Baden got to squish one. Um, but speaking of other creepy bugs, uh, we also tried uh, a lot of mescales. Um, you know, not not too many or anything, Mum. Like not like over the top. Just just a few different ones. And I also got the opportunity to try the worm. Oh, it's full of mezcal. Okay, we are at a mezcal factory, and Shelly is about to eat the worm oh, that's in the mezcal. It's so gross looking. What's the worm called again? Gusano. Gusano. Yeah. So describe your gusano. Okay, it's a white caterpillar with a little yucky brown head. It's soft and squishy because it's been floating in mezcal, and now I'm going to put it in my mouth and eat it. Oh my god, I'm really grossed out, you guys. I'm seriously grossed out. Bite it. Oh. It's a boozy worm. Oh. What's the texture like? It's kind of really fibrous. Like the skin is quite... I don't want to savour it and talk about it. It's still in my mouth. Oh. Mm, hard to swallow. You need a mescal chaser. Ooh, yuck. Don't pull out your tongue. Mm. Oh, I need orange. <coughs> I've got it in my teeth. Mm. Ah. <laughs> Shelly just spat out a segment of worm. Mm. Okay, <laughs> done. It's gone. So, Nath, you uh, you you had a little something extra to say, really, about your favourite topic. Yeah, I just wanted to say um, one last thing about the Oaxacan food, and in that food. in defence, <laughs> that is the the Oaxacan cheese, the quesillo. The white kind of fresh um, mozzarella style cheese, uh, yes. I think is some of the best cheese I've ever had in, in the world, especially when melted in a Oaxacan quesadilla. Wow. A fresh, a fresh corn tortilla with queso de Oaxaca. Basically, Nathan, you're kind of, you're quite a lover of Mexico. So what has brought you back here? Back to Oaxaca or? Just, just back to Mexico. Back to Mexico. Um, I'd feel like Mexico's got it all. Uh, I, you know, as environmentally and as far as the land goes, I love the beaches and um, the mountains. The north of Mexico is a whole other different thing as well. And uh, the people really bring me back here. You know, I, I find I get on really well with them. And <laughs> they're very friendly and, and lovely. And, and the food for me is, is also, you know, a definite draw card. And so, um, and I know, like, you got to go to Cuba on this trip as well, which I don't know if that was part of your original longer-term plans, but how did it go? How, what did you think? Did it meet your expectations, or...? Uh, yeah, Cuba Cuba definitely met my expectations. It was uh, interesting. Some days were tough, and some days were really amazing. Uh, we kind of came up with the concept of the Cuban circle, <laughs> which is something you guys know about. <laughs> And uh, that sums it up quite well for me. You know, we were sort of constantly in this up and down state, you know, whether we one day didn't have any money and we were trying to get some out of a bank that seemed like it was going to take forever. Or, and then, uh, you know, next minute we're sitting in a bar with some incredible music, drinking some great drinks and just, you know, mind blown. So, yeah. Sometimes we would have a few Cuban circles within one day and sometimes it will kind of happen over the space of a few days. Yeah. But um, it, it definitely lived up to its reputation. Yeah, yeah. 
so um, I mean, we we've done a bit of a pod. Our last podcast was kind of about Cuba, wasn't it? And just how it's probably going to change quite a lot. So it's good to get in there and see it maybe before that happens. I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And, and while we were there, uh, I mean, they had basically just got internet, so there were some places where we uh, were connecting in the middle of their plaza and uh the guys the locals around us were saying that it's only been here for five days and um you every day you saw more and more people using it and i I guess cubans doing things that they'd never done done before and yeah with tourism as well they're sort of a little bit behind the game (laughs) even though tourists have been going there for quite a while so yeah as as a traveler you sort of you can definitely see ways that they could improve tourism and 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 cash in on a bit more Mm. but they sort of don't have the ideas there or and they've never been really able to do anything like that so it was interesting to what about as a creator you like it or as an as an artist and stuff Mm. now on this trip have you been inspired much uh yeah i mean mexico definitely inspires me colors and, and the art you know that's very rich in art cuba cuba as well you know, Cuba had a lot of art, but it was it sort of felt like the history was, you know, a main part of what those artists were influenced by, um, their history. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly inspired. I, I, I love the sounds of, of Latin America and, and, you know, Mexico. So as far as um, my music and, and whatnot goes, I've been doing a lot of recording yeah. of just samples like you guys right. have. So, uh, yeah. Is that, do, do you have like a quintessential sound for Mexico or is there just too many to choose from? Uh, there's probably too many. Uh, one thing I love about Mexico City and you guys were talking about it, the, the streets, you know, and the sounds of the things on the streets there. Uh, when we were, I don't know if you guys heard one in Coyacan, as we were leaving the night we met the promoter for this gig, there was these like uh, corn drink that they make and they make it out of an oven that's pushed along on the side of the road which makes this like you know like a kettle boiling sound yeah a whistle but extremely loud (laughs) every every sort of uh two or three minutes and that guy was following us as we were walking to the metro so very loud yeah So you're heading back to uh, the capital city and you are going to be playing a gig. Tell us a little bit about that. We haven't talked about that at all yet. Yeah, uh, basically through Facebook, um, a guy from Mexico City found my music and and saw that I was coming over to Mexico. So he contacted me and asked if I wanted to play. So bring some gear, basically. And um, yeah, the date has changed quite a few times. (laughs) <laughs> so far, it was originally supposed to be right back at the start of the trip, but um, thankfully we didn't really uh, make too many drastic plans around the gig, and yeah, basically I have two days left on my holiday before I fly to the States and, and then on to home, and one of those dates w- worked, wow. so uh, it's actually happening on the 29th of so August. So where, where is it? What, what is the deal? Uh, the guy is... He's been doing a lot of home gigs. I think um, in Mexico City they have issues with their venues similar to like New Zealand. Uh, Basically it's hard to put on a show and to get anyone out to uh, a venue. So he's putting on this house gig. It's on the rooftop of uh, an apartment in in Coyacan. 
and uh, I, I really don't know what to expect. <laughs> so uh, I've asked him for a drum kit and a bass amp, and I have my sampler and some drumsticks, basically, and a microphone. So I'm going to do the whole one-man band thing, improvise sort of beats with, with samples that I've got that I can trigger just with my fingers, really. And uh, that's all I know. The, the time that I'm spending here, I'm sort of I'm supposed to be getting a set together. <laughs> so uh, that's my next task for the next few days. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked to play in Mexico City. It doesn't really have any benefit for me at all yeah. in terms of, I mean, I guess I, I get to play to a few people, a little bit of exposure, but as far as the industry goes, it, you know, it's a huge market that I'm never going to be able to crack, but it's just fun for me to be able to play in a foreign place. And uh, are you going to speak Spanish during your set? I'll introduce it in Spanish, and I think that's about as far as I'll go. (laughs) And thank the guy who's put it on for me. His name's Julio, and he um, runs a very small uh, promotions label, I guess, where uh, experimental underground artists from around the world can hook up with him and he can put on a, a small show. Wow, cool. Yeah. Buena suerte. Sí, gracias. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much us um, for this podcast. We need to hit the yeah, we need to get out to the sea because it's, um, it's pretty warm here. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we'd love to know how you are and where you are so you can get in touch with us by emailing howareyouwhereareyou at gmail.com or you can go along to the blog howareyouwhereareyou.com On there you'll find a couple of links so you can subscribe to the podcast using iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. Um, and also we love to get comments and stuff so if you want to go on the blog and put a comment under the, under the podcast we'd be really grateful. Thank you as always to Callum Campbell for the original music in the podcast and you can catch Baden online at Baden C on Twitter or Baden Cycling on Instagram and apart from that we will catch you next time. Bye!